What do you miss when you look at your peers who took a more normal route in life? The aspect of being a working adventurer that I could really live without is the constant pressure, both real and self-inflicted, to be continually interesting, original, relevant and enviable, if only online. I hate that a large chunk of my identity and how I feel about myself is linked to online approval. I don't like that my income is hitched to those approval levels. I'm not a president angling for re-election. I'm a free spirit who wants to cycle to a cafe and have enough money in my pocket to treat my friend to breakfast. I would like my working life not to have to depend upon public approval and an endless string of attractive plans. This is a major driver in my increased focus on quietly writing books. What else do I miss when I look at friends with more normal careers? Pensions and sick pay. The tacit acknowledgement that someone has a proper job which doesn't need justifying. A clear structure of promotion and progression. An obvious boundary between work time and not work time so that I could fully appreciate my free time rather than fretting that I should somehow be using it to do something related to my work. The camaraderie of working with bright, inspiring colleagues. Being able to go on a bike ride without feeling compelled to turn the experience into a pithy blog post about the meaning of life. Mentoring and professional feedback. Expense account credit cards and the excuse to meet friends after work for a quick drink now and again. Quick question. How do you keep a healthy mindset and remain productive? I don't always manage to keep upbeat in my working life. But I know what triggers me to slump and I know what works to pick myself up again. Exercise lots, get into nature and tackle projects that excite me with a clear timetable and a tight-ish deadline. Question. Do you struggle with feeling isolated or like you're not living your days to the fullest when you're doing the behind-the-scenes work? How you would feel about spending most of your working hours alone and left to your own devices will help determine whether the life of a working adventurer is for you or not. Some would find it boring and lonely. Others would be totally unproductive. It's no place for slackers. There's no camaraderie, no sounding boards to help you unpick professional puzzles, nobody holding you to account. Perhaps spending so much time travelling alone has inured me to all this, for I've never struggled with any of it. I often go for weeks at a time without having a single meaningful conversation about my work. I'm often lonely but never during work hours. I'm too busy and immersed in exciting projects. I'm happy with my own company in my shed and don't feel isolated there. I talk out loud to myself, I choose the music and I sing and dance. I pace around the shed while I think, a bonus of using a standing desk. I feel a boyish pride in my flatulence rather than shame. But I also love the times when I collaborate with bright people who challenge me and make me think differently. I want to find more opportunities to work with others. I relish the time when my work overlaps with hanging out with interesting people. This can range from spending a couple of months in extremely close quarters on an expedition, charging around like a lunatic for a few days with a film crew, 
high on caffeine ideas and a ridiculously tight schedule, to simply chatting with thoughtful characters for my podcast or editors for my books. I struggle with doing work that does not feel worthwhile when the drag of ennui wrestles the lure of the paycheck. I would find it impossible to work for a company unless I was passionate about its mission. Millions of pounds would not tie me for long to a tedious job. I don't enjoy the days when I'm only doing something for the money, merely trading some hours of my life for some cash. So as well as the usual to-do lists, I've also benefited from having a not-to-do list. It makes me aware of all the things I hate doing and which suck the joy from my shed. The days when I feel I'm living life to the fullest never involve answering emails. They are inevitably those when I'm outside in beautiful wild landscapes. There are also days alone in my shed that can compete with that feeling. These are the times when I'm producing something good that I know will last for a long time. That knowledge stretches the satisfaction of one day's effort out into many days to come. Over time, I've manoeuvred into a fortunate position where I can be more selective about the work I take on. Whenever possible, I try to prioritise projects that feel fulfilling, have longevity and that I enjoy. Quick question. Are you happy? (laughs) 63% of adults are happy, apparently, so statistically I'm likely to be content. The trouble for ambitious folk with eternal wanderlust and fernweh is that we always reckon we can find something better over the next horizon and should strive for more out of life than that satisfied 63%. Question. Did you have to shut down one identity in order to step into this one fully? Like every career and life, things work much better when you don't have to pretend to be something you are not. There is a temptation to imagine what an adventurer should be like and strive for that image, imitating those I consider successful. But, funnily enough, I ditched that notion on my very first morning of cycling around the world. Feeling overwhelmed by the stupidity of what I had got myself into, and crying as I pedalled, I decided that I wasn't going to hide this aspect of the experience. If readers were disappointed by my lack of an explorer's stiff upper lip, then too bad. Reflecting back, I'm interested that I was so matter-of-fact about this, given that for my entire life I'd always been so desperate to fit in, to belong and not to stand out. I don't know why I was suddenly willing to be open and vulnerable with those feelings, but I'm glad that I did. Becoming a working adventurer has been, at times, like becoming a teenager all over again. There was a lot to figure out and plenty of awkwardness, missteps and ill-advised hairstyles. I felt embarrassed by the notion of self-promotion. Without it, however, you can't be a working adventurer, so you have to either suck it up and get on with it, or go and find a proper job. Occasionally, whilst finding my feet, I guess I became too thrusting, earning this well-deserved smackdown from one gnarled old climber in an email. A lot of folk find this type of self-promotion over the top, Might sit all right with folk who don't know much, but there are thousands of folk doing real adventures and just getting on with it. You are obviously highly motivated and talented to your causes, 
But take a tip from me. Such statements only throw egg on your face. Sorry to be brutally honest, but better you get feedback than think such things are cool. You don't need to do this. You have an impressive CV. Just enjoy it for yourself. Through trial and error, I got to a position where I think the tone of my output reached an acceptable balance between being authentic and being loud enough to be noticed. Please correct me if I'm wrong. Whilst I would not go so far as to say that I shut down parts of my identity, I do very much separate the strands of my life. As long ago as 2009, I began only posting adventure-related material on my blog rather than any old tidbits that interested me or anecdotes about what I was up to. I only tell the world about certain aspects of my life, not what I had for lunch, reheated mushroom risotto, since you ask, not what I'm wearing, jeans and novelty Christmas elf slippers, who I vote for, the Green Party, my house, my family, or anything else that's not relevant to the working adventurer side of my life. I don't have any personal social media accounts, nor even ones restricted to my real-world friends and family. I've tried to be frank in this book, but I've also been careful to limit that openness only to my work and adventures. From about the age of 30, I settled upon an identity that was successful in my speaking work and online content. It was a combination of adventure styles, ethos and output that worked well. But I made the mistake of not allowing that identity to evolve as I changed. By the time I hit 40, the disconnect was jarring. I still considered success as an adventurer to revolve around pushing yourself to the limits on major expeditions. Yet, not only was I unable to find the time to do those anymore, I realised that they didn't excite me as much as they used to either. Belatedly, I began thinking carefully about what living adventurously meant to me now, settling upon an updated definition that worked better for my current life, and then I ended up going busking to my great surprise. The growing up metaphor works well here, because in my work as in my personal life, I eventually grew into accepting who I was and who I was not, what I was good at and what was best left alone. I've slowly grown into the identity of accepting being myself, both in my working adventurer life and in the strands of my life that are not played out on the internet. It has been a relief to no longer feel that I had to play a scripted reality show version of myself. I'd never given much thought to the truism advice of be yourself, but it's actually powerful and liberating. Not only to be yourself, but also to be content with what that is. Aside from the sheer madness of feeling that you somehow should fake an adventurous identity, there is the win-win bonus that you will be more successful if you're authentic and honest as you tell compelling stories and build a viable audience. There's no need, thankfully, to put on an act to impress people. Quick question. Where do you feel at home? Anywhere very far from home.